you have your Bibles today, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. We heard it read just a moment ago, but we're using that as we talk about your theme today, which is joy. And my heart is filled with a lot of joy, and it's not because it's Christmas. We won the state championship last night of six-man football, and that is the most fun I have ever had in my entire life. It was amazing. I've always known it where I wanted to be one day, but I wanted to be a player. I never dreamed in my wildest imagination I'd be one of the coaches on the sideline getting to do that. But it was quite an experience. And in six-man football, the final score was 70 to 52. So it's almost a basketball game. I understand that. And one thing I learned yesterday, in fact, the last two games, we won the previous semifinal game against last year's state champion, 70 to 58, you never have a lead. It's never safe, no matter how many points you score. But anyway, we we won last night. But I want to take that and add to this. Two things happen on the field that really fit what I want to do today. We have a kid on our team. His name's Chris. Chris is probably one of the best football players I've ever encountered in my life. And last Saturday, when we were in Brownwood, The young man was having the game of a lifetime. He was literally a man among boys out on the football field. You very rarely see that dominant performance by any one player in a game, but he was having it. This is one of the finest young men I've ever met in my life. He owns his own businesses. He's not going to go to college because it'd be a step down for him. His net worth is about double what mine is, and mine's not great, but it's not bad. And the kid's just, everything he touches works. Well, in our first scrimmage of the year, he got tackled right in front of us, the coaches on our sideline. And when he did, they twisted his ankle. And so he missed the first six games of the year of his senior year. And so a little flustered and frustrated, but he was our cheerleader. He was our coach on the sideline. He kept the kids going all year long. Well, he came back mid-season, top form, and by the semifinal game, Literally, he had a 60-yard touchdown run. He had a 15-yard touchdown run. He had what we call pancake blocks, six of them, where you literally flatten somebody on your back. And, in fact, he even got a penalty because they had a little kid on the other team, and he just kind of grabbed and held him so he wouldn't hurt him, and they called him for holding. They should have never done that because the next kids all got pancaked by him. (laughs) But he just played the game of his life. And so we're beating the state champs. It's a knockdown, drag-out fight. He's leading the way. When he took a pass, he came around. He was right at my feet when he hit the ground on one of these turf fields. And when he hit it, his elbow hit, and he dislocated his elbow right there in front of me. It's one of the most painful things I've ever seen anybody go through. It looked terrible. I was one of the first ones on the field next to him. And when I got to Chris, Chris was going, why, Jesus, why? You know, he's, he's getting ready to achieve what he's worked his whole high school career for, and now he knows how bad it is. I saw him Monday at practice after they had to take him to the hospital from the game. I said, Chris, you're asking why? Do you want the preacher answer? He said, yes. I said, there isn't one. We don't always know what the providence of God is about, but I'll give you an answer. Proverbs says a righteous man falls seven times and seven times he gets wrapped back up. Young man, you're one of the finest kids I've ever met in my life. You just get back up. Yesterday at the game, his state champion opportunity. He's on the sideline. He is the biggest cheerleader I have ever seen. He was 
talking to the players the whole game. He was so active. In fact, I walked over to him in the fourth quarter and said, is your arm healed enough to go in? He said, oh, I wish. But his joy, he was so excited. And when that clock ticked zero, he was more excited than anyone else on the field. And he didn't get to play. I go to the other side. have a kid. I won't use his name. But he is one of the most amazing players. He's a freshman. His dad was quarterback in the NFL. The kid has more talent when he's a freshman than I ever had in my entire life. And he had the game of a lifetime yesterday, but he got mad at something that he had every right in the world to get mad at. In fact, I even went over to him and grabbed him by his shoulder pads and pulled him in close. I said, young man, don't let what happened ruin what's going on right now. This is one of the greatest experiences you're ever going to get in your life. You may never, ever get back to the moment like today. But he never did because his joy was totally gone. In the midst of a championship game and a game which he won for us with two of his plays, he never enjoyed anything. And if you, I looked at the pictures last night on Facebook of our team afterwards holding the trophy, and he had the worst look on his face. I went over and looked at where Chris was and there was joy all over his face. So what I want to deal with today is joy because too often you and I allow our joy to be robbed when we ought to be the happiest, most blessed people in all of the world. So if you have your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 2. I was going to read the entire thing, but Lexi and Emmett did an amazing job for us. So just look at verses 19 and 20 as I read these two verses because this is where I want to go. It's simply this, Mary treasured all these things. She pondered them in her heart. The shepherds, they go back, and what are they doing? They're glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as everything had been told exactly to them. You know, how did we start the service today? With joy to the world. Do you know how old that song is? 303 years old. Older than some of you in our congregation today. <laughs> you know where it comes from? Isaac Watts wrote this, and he was brilliant. He's one of the smartest men ever lived on the face of the earth and when it came to other things, but he also was a hymn writer. He was a theologian. And so he wrote this song uh, 303 years ago, and for those who can't do math, that is 1719 when this was written. This is even for America become a nation. And he took it from Psalms 98. Psalms 98 is sing to the Lord a new song is what that psalm is about. And it's broken. It's nine verses broken in three parts. And the three parts are this. God's made known his salvation to us. And all the earth has now seen his salvation. That's the first three verses. The next three verses are because of that, let's shout joyfully to the Lord. Let's use our voices and let's use our instruments. And then the last three go to the second coming. Let us be joyful because he will come and one day judge the earth, but we in righteousness will be called up to him. And so Isaac had been reading that and he wrote what you and I now sing at Christmas time as joy to the world. So if I look at our passage that our kids were using today for children's church and for our uh, Advent candle, we take the Christmas story. Now, the difficulty of doing Luke 2 for anybody is we've read it so many times we really don't pay much attention to it. You may read it with your family on Christmas Day. You'll hear it two or three or four times. 
Toughest thing to do as a pastor after 46 years is come up with something new on this particular passage that you have not already heard a hundred times in your lifetime. But I want to go back and maybe just refresh a few things. Not bring anything new to the table, but help you to maybe see a few things that would be of help. So I'm going to start with, start with this. The shepherds. It would have been interesting to be a shepherd, but it would also have been the most frightening thing you ever went through. So I want to take what happened to them. I have been in the shepherd's field. I've been to Bethlehem. They took us to where the shepherds were. And I don't know what the weather was at night or whether it was a full moon or not a full moon. I don't know how any of that stuff worked. But there would have been one of the darkest spots on the face of the earth there. And so these men, and if you go to Israel ever, you will know, you'll see the Bedouins as they're still running the sheep and the camel and other things out there, the goats. You'll see them and they're very weathered in their face and their expression. They're very strong men. You'll see that. So I'm going to take it they're very tough Men who can face anything in the world because they're used to living out in the, in the wild like that. These guys suddenly go from a quiet night to they are so frightened they can't hardly move. Fear. And fear is what robs us of joy over and over. And, and their, whatever joy they had was suddenly gone. These men who were probably brave and strong are suddenly cowards and overcome by this moment of fear. You ever thought about why they were? Well, if you'd ever have an angel show up to you you would be in the exact same position they were. But what is it? It's an unexpected event. It is an unexplainable event. It's outside their control. And they felt like maybe they were just about to die. Whatever was happening, it scared them to death. It's a similar thing, different circumstances, but we react sometimes exactly the same way. We don't control the events in this world. You have absolutely no control over anything that takes place. One thing I've learned after many years in the ministry is a lot of times we can plan well, but it never turns out what we're hoping or praying will take place. Things happen. You know, I was, I may have made reference last time I was here, but years ago in 1981, I had the youth. I was a youth director at the time. I had them over all at my house and we were putting together a youth newsletter. And as we were putting that youth newsletter together, we did it the old way. I don't know if you remember that, but we had these mimograph machines. You would just turn your hand and everything else. I mean, there was nothing fancy like you have today and big screens. We just did it the old, old way. And we'd, the kids would paste and copy and do all kinds of stuff on paper, not on phones. And we finally got it together. We had a ton of pizza. I'd had about eight or nine kids over there and I went through like five or six pizzas. And so I sent them home about 7.30 that night and my sister's 17th birthday was that day. Uh, we had adopted her when she was eight, and she'd been living with us for nine years. And so I was getting ready to call Tammy when my brother called. And when, he got on, when I got on the phone, he said, Steve, I got horrible news. Tammy's dead. And I mean, I was stunned. But the next words literally ripped my heart out. Steve, she killed herself. I couldn't believe that happened. My sister was troubled as an adopted child who had had a horrible first seven years of life and everything we did to try to solve and help her just never quite seemed to work. I poured my heart and soul into that little girl. I was in seminary at the time and just graduated and was at my first church. I would do everything I could to try to help her to see how loved she was, but everything we did didn't work. It's the most frustrating thing I've ever gone through in my life. I wanted to help. I wanted to change what was going on. It broke my dad's heart, my mom's heart. 
My dad, even when he was 89 years of age, the year before he died, one day looked at me and said, son, why? I said, dad, I don't know. I wish I knew. But there are just times things are out of our control. And when they are, it sometimes makes us very scared. And that fear is real. And it is a part of all of who we are. And the disciples were going through it. But the fear does what? It brings sadness. It robs us of our peace. Sometimes it just paralyzes. Maybe like it did the, the shepherds that night as they heard all of this. And sometimes it's irrational, our fear. And we don't think clearly through all of that. In fact, you know Job struggled with this? Job says, as he's going through the most difficult time of his entire life, he said this, what I feared happened. What I was scared of has taken place. He'd lost 10 children. He'd lost everything that was of value to him. His name had been so muddied, it was unbelievable. Children mocked him when he would walk by, the scripture says, there were other horrible things that unfolded. Evil men in the area in which he lived now tried to take advantage of him and make him look as bad as they possibly could. He said, what I feared, it happened. What I dreaded, that's what took place. I'm not at ease. I'm not quiet. I'm not at rest. I'm in turmoil. That can happen to any one of us in this room. I have been there. You have been there. So what's the answer? I started with Chris and my other young man, one enjoying a game, the other having the game of his life, but very angry and frustrated about something that happened during the game and it robbed him of his joy. How do we get like my young man who enjoyed himself when he had every reason not to? Well, that's what the Christmas story is about. And I know you've read this a hundred times, but you know where joy comes from? It comes from truth. It comes from truth, and that is very important. The angels, the first word that they always had to say when they encountered anyone in the Scripture, stop fearing, because I got something for you today. And what did he have? I have good news. Good news. You know, good news can change anything instantaneously. In, in 2001, my wife and I were building a new home. We had uh, been in a house for about seven years in San Antonio. It was a two-story house. Uh, her parents and her aunt were getting the aids at going up the steps. Our bathrooms were all upstairs. It was getting difficult. So I said, let's downsize. Let's build a nice home, single level, so when your family comes, they'll be able to rest comfortably within our house. And she agreed. I had two kids in college, and the third one was a senior leaving. So we started building the house. And then suddenly my kids all came home. I complained about that at church one Sunday. I can't believe the two who were seniors and a junior just moved back home to San Antonio after we'd gotten rid of them. They said, and you're surprised? I said, I am. They said, well, you shouldn't be. You're a baby boomer, aren't you? I said, I am. You raise boomerangs. <laughs> but they came home. We're living in a, while we're building a new house, mine sold too quickly, we're living in a 900 square foot apartment, three bedroom with three adult kids. It's not the happiest moment of life. But I wake up one morning and my wife is in the corner of the room. You'll get to meet her occasionally because she's a pianist that we're at. But she was in the fetal position on the floor at five o'clock in the morning. Now my wife does not ever get upset. You can't frustrate her. It's just the way she's been. I got down, what's wrong, what's wrong? We finally, we don't know, we're not medical people. 
but it happened three mornings in a row. What it turned out was she had kidney cancer and the tumor was hitting the adrenal gland. If it hadn't been for that, she wouldn't be here today. We go, and it, when we find out what's going on, it is not good. And I'm, I'm scared. I know what that fear thing is. The little girl that stood next to me all those years, things are not looking good at all. We went through, it turned out that she's alive to this day. By that much, the tumor was still in the kidney. And the doctor, when he came out to tell me, he said, Steve, we're okay. We're okay. No chemo, no radiation. You guys go home. When she's recovered, you go home and you pick back up your life and you enjoy it. As a pastor, I've said too many times with those, it didn't turn out that way. But yet, Lord, in whatever reason, gave us that opportunity. And I'll tell you, I went from scared to joy in just a moment. So what's the good news that should help us at moments like that to get through what we're going through in life? Well, notice what the story says there around verse 10 and 11. First of all, this news is for everybody. The gospel's for anyone and everyone who will listen to it. And never take this for granted. I think I said last time when I was here, don't be ashamed of this story. It's one of the most amazing stories there is. And come to deeply appreciate it every single day. This news is for all people. So it means you're not excluded. We have a kid on our team. We call him Sunshine. If you remember watching the, the movie, and I just went blank on the name of it, but it's where... Uh, yes, thank you. Sunshine was on our team too. Blonde hair, down to his shoulders, new to our team this year. And he was a great player, played well for us. He didn't play all the time, but he was out there. I, I really come to appreciate Sunshine. But as we were standing on the field afterwards, we'd been given the trophy and we're just standing there. He looked over, they called me Coach Grandpa. Coach Grandpa, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm a part of this. Never in my wildest imagination would I think I could be in something like this. He came from a program that had dissolved and he had joined our team, but he, he was overjoyed. I don't deserve this. I shouldn't even be, well, nobody deserves that, but we have it. See, you don't deserve the gospel. You don't deserve anything of the scriptures, except God just said, I love you and I'm showing grace, this gift to you. And so it's for you. Do you know how important that makes each and every one of us in the room? That this great gift for you has now allowed you to be a part of his family, to be adopted into his family, and to be able to say, Abba, Father, and he knows your name? I mean, you're one of the most blessed people in all the earth because of your faith and trust in Christ. So the news is for all people. It says today, the angels do, which means it's very relevant every single day. And it means this. It's a real event. These are not fables. These are true stories. These have happened. I've walked in the land where some of this happened. It's amazing to walk in that land and to see what happened. But this is real. Jesus Christ truly came to this earth. He lived a life that is amazing, perfectly, went to a cross, died, resurrected, and now ascended to the Father in heaven. And he's coming back one day for you. It's real. And so you can hold on to this. In Bethlehem, that makes it interesting because we go back to Micah, don't we? Mainly as soon as you hear Bethlehem, you've got to go back to Micah. A prophet many centuries before called it exactly like it happened, which adds stunningness to the impact of God's word. It really happened. And then born for you. 
God really did something special for you. Born for you. Not for some others, but for you. And what is it that he's the savior? Somebody to rescue us. Somebody to rescue us from the evilness of our heart. Somebody to rescue us from the power of Satan. Someone to rescue us from the overwhelming influence of the world. He did it for us. And we're now able to sing and shout or whatever we do with joy because we have life eternal. You know how important that is? You know, the older I get, the more important it becomes. This old body of mine has gotten frail. I don't like it at all. On the football field yesterday, there came a sweep around to where I was standing on the sidelines. And the two kids were bigger than me as they were the runner and the tackler. And I had to move for my life. I don't move well for my life anymore. It just doesn't work like it used to work. But that's okay. Because I have something waiting for me one day in heaven. I have the promise of not only eternal life, but a new physical appearance. I will be as he is. That's what he's made possible by being Savior. So as we go through the life, we have a Savior who has given us life eternal. He's forgiven us of what happened within our past. He's promised us a future, and then we can live each day with that quiet joy. It's not always happiness, as I said earlier to us in the children's time, but it's real, deep within our heart. It is Christ then, the Messiah, the promised one. God did just like he promised. From the very beginning of the Old Testament all the way through the end of the Old Testament, just what he said happened. You ever heard the verse Isaiah 40, 31? Those who mount up with wings like eagles. You know what that's about? Well, you and I use that for maybe something we're going through. Okay, I got to wait on God right now. We use it in a contemporary, immediate setting, but that's not what that verse is about. What that verse is about is, if you go back to Isaiah and read the entire 40th chapter from start to finish, it is a promise of the coming of John the Baptist and a promise of the coming of Jesus. And then it talks about the power of God. It's one of the greatest statements of God's power, wisdom, and authority, and omnipotence. I mean, he knows all the stars, it says in that passage. He's named every one of them. And so it talks about how he keeps everything under his control. But what it's saying is, for those who wait upon the promise upon the promise of the coming of the Messiah will one day strap, mount up with wings like eagles. They'll be strong. They can run. They can walk. They will not be worn out by life. How long did they have to wait from that statement in Isaiah to the coming of the Messiah? More than likely eight centuries. That's a long wait. But God had promised it. And if he's promised it, it's going to happen. And you and I can live our lives in total and complete confidence every single day that what God has taught you from his word will take place. That helps to alleviate fear and that helps to bring joy into your life every single day. And then lastly, it says, Christ the Lord, which means he's in control. He's in control. Guys, this world may look like it is messed up and in a sense it is. It may look like sometimes it's going totally crazy, and it is. But there is someone sitting on a throne who controls every single thing that happens, and his providence cannot be stopped. And I can live quietly knowing that he is Lord, and what he wants done will be taken care of and will happen every single day. See, the Christmas story 
It's about good news. When you get with your family, I love Christmas. I love the tree this year. We're a small house, so we got rid of our big tree and gave it to our son. And so we got a little tree in our house for my wife and I because we have a little tiny house that we're living in now. But I love getting everything ready. I was even outside putting lights up on my house. My kids came by and said, Dad, get off the ladder. You're old. I said, you're not here to help, so I guess I got to do it. So I got up there, but I love doing that. I still remember my greatest present ever in my life. Some of you may have remembered from childhood. Mine was an electric football game. You remember those old vibrating boards and little guys you'd put and you'd turn the electricity on and it'd vibrate? Man, I was in hog heaven whenever mom and dad gave me that for Christmas. And when I was about nine or 10 years of age, I loved Christmas. Uh, Christmas was going to grandma's house on Christmas Eve and she would have the whole town of Port Arthur come to her house. It was a huge thing every year. And I'd get in there and get all the snickerdoodles I'd get my hands on. Uh, she made shrimp dip, and most people didn't like it, so I had all I wanted at that particular point. She made punch, and it was the punch that didn't have anything in it, so children could drink it, and so I, I, I enjoyed that. And I would run around, and we'd open presents from Grandma at that time just before everybody showed up. Of course, we'd already seen them because we'd gotten her closets and found them ahead of time. You know how all that stuff works. I love Christmas. I mean, I always have. But Christmas is more than just us having lights and trees and parties and gifts. Christmas is remembering the great promise of God has taken place and we get to be a part of it. Unto you was born a child. His name is Jesus. And we're privileged and honored to be able to know him and to be able to walk with him every day. Which leads me to this. None of you have ever told me what time I'm supposed to be through. So I'm trying to figure this out. And I will say this because I'm going to go to the last point. Uh, I was told only 25 minutes, I think, but y'all didn't give me near enough to do, even get to 25, so I'm going to go a little bit more. But I, I do understand because when I was a pastor, I wanted to make sure I got out on time so the nursery workers wouldn't quit. So I, I will try to get through this. But let me hit two quick things to finish. What did Mary do with this? Because I think this is where you and I have to be if we want to have this kind of joy. I read 19 and 20 just a moment ago, right? What did it say she did? She treasured it. What was happening, what she was hearing, she treasured. She treasured. Now, I do know this is a mom having her first child. And I know I've been with my wife and that. I've been with others when they've taken I know that is a treasured moment. But there's more going on here because she's dealing with something totally different. She's treasuring what the shepherds have told her about her son. You will have the joy Scripture talks about. And when we sing joy to the Lord, it'll be real in your life. When you have treasured this truth that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior and you hold on to that every single day. You will treasure the promises that God has given you. What you really hold in value is where you go all the time. And for a lot of people, even in church, it's not a treasure. It's what we do. It's how we were raised. It's the way I was for the first 21 years of my life till I finally met Christ. I, I was in church from the time I was five days old. My mom showed up for anything and everything that ever happened at the church. So I know what it is to go to church all the time. But it wasn't a big deal. I knew all the stories. I knew everything that you needed to know. But when I met Christ at the age of 20, it suddenly changed. And over the years, I've come more and more to treasure that. Do you treasure the story of the gospel? But then lastly, what did she do? She pondered. She thought about it. 
See, I think a lot of times we don't have the strength, the courage that we need and the joy that we need because we don't give much thought to this. You need to really sometimes just sit down and slow down and reflect on some of these truths and what they mean in your life. When COVID happened, we were like everybody else. Uh, we had, in fact, I had the same cameras y'all got here today. We, had put, we put new ones in. We did all of that. And I would preach in an auditorium this size to 17 people for, for several months. COVID got really bad. Even after they reopened, we had to close again because so many of our people were sick and my whole staff went down. And so a lot of times I would preach at this. But you know what I, my, my theme was during that time? Don't waste a good pandemic. I'm serious. I, I know it sounds a little funny, but I'm serious. What have we said about American life? It's too fast-paced. We never have time. All we're doing is running from one place to the other. We're living on the freeways and in traffic. We rush to work. We rush home. We get the kids ready, go to our, our sports and our events and everything else. And we give very little thought to much of anything. And then when we're not, I left my phone down there. But what are we doing? Well, yesterday at the game, as soon as the game's over, what are my 30 state champion football players doing? Got their phones, taking their picture, texting each other, and they're right there next to each other. We live at moments where we're on our phone, we're zapping in tons of information, more information than we've ever had come into our head at one time. It's coming from all different directions. But we never give much thought, deep thought, meditative thought to the great truths of who God's word is. May I state that for this Christmas season, yeah, it'll be busy and you'll go crazy running there. But find some moments to stop and to reflect and to think of the privilege and the blessings that have been given to you to be a part of God's family. Of how much he loved you when you didn't deserve to be loved. How he has blessed you and watched over you. And come to deeply appreciate what God's done. Then maybe when you stand to sing, you sing a touch different. Because there's, there's a quiet joy within your heart. Life is good. My God is great. I can't ask for anything more blessed than this. Last night as I walked off the football field, my prayer simply was this, Lord, thank you. I never saw this coming. This was fun. Thank you let this old guy have one more time out on the athletic field to impact and influence some kids' lives and to see them accomplish something that they really didn't think they could have ever accomplished. Man, I didn't ever guess that. But man plans his way, but God directs our step. You enjoy this life. You get ready by living it well, so when he comes, you're ready. Join with me as we pray. Father, we thank you for the day, for the privilege and honor you've given us to study your word. And Lord, we've had a chance to read an old story. Everyone in this room has heard this story many times. To the point sometimes it's just something we've heard and rarely never soaks in. So Father, my prayer today is maybe in some way I've been able to present it that it will impact in a good way, that we will slow down, that we will treasure it, we will ponder it as Mary did, and then we'll do as the shepherds have done. We'll walk away from here glorifying and praising you 
because all that we've heard and seen, just as you had promised to us. It is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.